grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Yes, amen. There's a little bit more to this. You know, in preparing for this message, I faced several challenges. One, most of us already know the answer to the question. We've thought about it, we've discussed it, and we pretty much made up our mind what we believe. But second, we also know that a lot of this world, in fact, most of the world today, uh, has a different answer. We also know that, that our message is, in fact, an offense to many of them. Third, we also know that there are many churches, even here in Springfield, and back where I come from in Branson, would probably give you a slightly different answer. We also know that some who would actually agree with us don't want to talk about it openly, so even if they answer yes, they'd prefer not to stir anybody up by saying, yes, Jesus is the only way. The fifth thing that I thought about was this, that we know that many people react negatively when we do say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And lastly, there are some people who even go so far as to ban us from actually using the name of Jesus publicly. I've had that happen to me on a couple of occasions. The last one I remember was being offered the opportunity to pray at the opening of the legislature in the state of Illinois. But in the letter that I received, it told me I was to avoid using the name of Jesus in my prayer. To which I said, find someone else. See, now, none of this should surprise us, I don't think, because we live in a day of increasing religious pluralism. And as a result, we have, a cho- we have no choice but to learn how to get along with our neighbors who follow religions that are a whole lot different than ours. However, as America changes, we face the danger of reducing our religious differences to kind of a bland, lowest common denominator, all religions are the same. And maybe you've heard that, that why get so excited? We're going to all go to the same place, no matter anyhow. But when you hear people say all religions are equal, I can tell you, you can be sure of two things. One is they don't know what they're talking about. And two, they haven't really investigated any other religions very closely. I mean, to say that all religions, no matter who they believe in, really insults the followers of every other religion. I mean, spend some time and talk to a Muslim, and you're going to discover that what they believe and what you believe is really two different things. Talk to a Buddhist, and you're going to discover that their beliefs are completely different from ours and from the Muslims. And the same as followers of Judaism and uh, Hinduism and so on. So it's, it's really easy to say all roads lead to heaven when you haven't studied the map very carefully. So what we need is an accurate map that tells us for sure which road is going to get us to heaven. You find that map, you find that GPS, if you will, you're going to be in the right place. It was a few years ago that the General Secretary of the World Council of Churches was asked to name the number one theological issue facing Christians worldwide. His answer was very short and very clear, the uniqueness of Jesus. See, friends, if Jesus is not unique, there is no gospel. And if we have no gospel, we have no good news to preach to this world. So we face many questions 
on this message. I'm going to take you through a series of questions this morning. Here's the first one. What does the Bible actually say? Well, I want you to consider again those words from John 14, verse 6, the gospel of the day. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you should know right off that people were pretty upset to hear Jesus say that because the way, the truth, and the life are also words that they use for the Holy Scriptures. And so Jesus was saying, I'm equal to the Holy Scriptures. And then he goes on and says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if words mean anything, this is an utterly exclusive claim by our Lord. Without him, apart from him, there is no way to the Father. In other words, if you decide Jesus is not for you, God does not have a plan B. You can add to that the words of Paul. In Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Or then you can look at the words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now those two verses seem to be absolutely definitive. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other name. There's no other foundation on which to build your life. And I could have thrown in one more from 1 Timothy where it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Friends, the whole gospel boils down uh, to this truth. And because our sins have separated us, we need a mediator to bring us back to God. And because this sin gap is so eternally wide, we see, need to have someone from eternity to come from heaven to bridge that gap for us. And we just celebrated that through the Easter season when Jesus, very literally on that cross, bridged the gap between us and God. Now, we could add dozens of Bible passages to this list. The God of the Bible is an utterly exclusive God. He has no competitors. He is the living and true God, and there is no one like him in the entire universe. He will not share his glory with any other created being. I mean, very loud and clear, I want to say, friends, he alone deserves our worship and our praise. And so when the Son says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he means it. End of question, end of statement, exclamation point. See, the issue is not our emotions or our preferences. The issue is all about truth. And yes, there are people today who would argue with you about what truth is. Well, I'll tell you what truth is. Truth is Jesus. See, sincerity in religious matters is never enough. We do not need to doubt the sincerity of people who follow uh, Islam or Hinduism. In fact, I kind of admire them for their dedication for what they believe. But, but they're wrong. See, you can be sincerely wrong and still be what? Wrong. You can sincerely drink rat poison and guess what? You will be sincerely dead. Uh, believing the wrong thing does not make it right. I, I mean, I, I'm supposing that at Springfield Lutheran, they still teach two plus two equals four. It does not equal three. It does not equal five, no matter how sincere you may be. Now, here's another question. How do we communicate this good news of Jesus Christ then to other people? See, the problem is not what we believe or what the Bible teaches us. Christians have always believed that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but we haven't always expressed it with that same equal forcefulness. See, as our world goes smaller and smaller, we kind of rub shoulders with people from different religious backgrounds 
So how do we explain what it is we believe in the way that they can understand it? I'd say the very fundamental way, and this may surprise you, is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of someone who actually shares their point of view with you. I practice coffee shop evangelism. I visit various coffee shops in France, and I just kind of listen to conversations, and if I have a chance, I enter into those conversations. I want to know what they think, and I want to know what they believe. I say, don't be afraid of your Muslim co-worker or your Hindu neighbor. I mean, don't be afraid to strike up a conversation with a student who has no religious understanding whatsoever. See, too many Christians fit the stereotype of being all mouth and no ears. Now, I just moved up here from Texas. They would say all hat and no cattle. We talk, but we don't listen. Or we just listen for our chance to butt in and talk. See, it's not a sin to let other people explain how they view the world. It's not a sin to listen to somebody else explain how they, what they believe and to listen to their religious practices. In fact, I think it's just simple human kindness to show some interest in the backgrounds of other people. Otherwise, how are you going to possibly build a bridge between you and them, a bridge of friendship that ultimately Jesus can cross over? So we need to learn to listen and learn, to ask questions and seek understanding with other people. Not just to arbitrarily shut them off and arbitrarily ignore them and just say, I I want nothing to do with you. See, I believe the challenge that's facing the Christian church in the world today, and be more specific, I think the challenge that's facing the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and to be even more specific, would be Redeemer Lutheran Church, whether it's in Nixa or whether it's in Springfield, is to prepare its members, and by that I mean to disciple people, to be effective witnesses through concentrated study of the biblical narrative and prayer. And this preparation needs to give us the ability to actually know what it is that we say we believe. I've run into way too many people that I would call fundamentalists, and maybe maybe some of you are these. A fundamentalist is someone who absolutely positively knows what they think and believe, but absolutely positively doesn't know what the Bible says about it. Do you ever meet anybody like that? Are you sitting by anybody like that? See, we need to know what it is we believe before we deal with American atheists or agnostics or to the global community of non-Christians as well. Here's question number three. How should we respond to people who react negatively? Do you know something that when you actually bring Jesus up, some people get, get mad? They actually get a little bit negative? I think here's the key, key point. Don't be surprised. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I've learned a few things about witnessing to people over the years. One of them is you can't argue a person into the kingdom of God. I've also learned you can't insult them into believing in Jesus. I've also found out, this is in my way past, that you can't curse or swear at lost people and make them want to run to the cross. None of those work. See, it helps to remember that those people who are without Jesus are spiritually blind. And until that blindness is ultimately removed by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will never see the truth. I mean, you might as well get mad at blind people for not being able to see the color green. I mean, our strategy always needs to be one of Christ's kindness. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to the young guy some very specific advice. He said, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. 
in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And something else, friends, remember, some people will say things to you just to get you agitated. I have that happen every once in a while, particularly when people find out I'm a pastor. They just want to raise some really ridiculous questions just to see whether I will get mad or angry. Some people just seem to have that spiritual gift of being, uh, I don't know what we call it, heavenly sandpaper. Now, Paul's advice is always simple, but it's not always easy to know. Don't let people get under your skin. I mean, don't yell back at people just because they believe something different than you do. I mean, we're not there to curse those people who curse at us. We're not there to try to intimidate them into heaven. In short, we're not to try to match the tactics that other people might have in response. But instead to know something, and I hope and pray that all of you do know this, that salvation is a miracle of God that takes place in the heart. Only the Holy Spirit can convert the soul, and it's not our arguments that win the lost. And unless the word, the, the Lord works on the heart, our words have no, no merit. So we need to be kind and gentle under pressure, even when pushed to the limit. See, if we lose our temper, we may win the verbal battle, but we will surely lose the war for that soul. Here's a fourth question. How should we live in this increasingly pluralistic world? I got news for you. We cannot turn the clock back to the good old days. 1957 and the old TLH hymnal are not coming back. We are probably never going to use a, uh, a film strip projector or a flannel graph again. We always thought that the other side of the world is where all those other people live. But guess what? They live here, too. So we have to think about the challenge of sharing Jesus in a very pluralistic world. And let me just share a few thoughts about that. One of these is just ground yourself in the Word of God. I mean, make sure you actually know what you believe. And don't just read the Bible. Study the Bible. Learn it. Memorize it. Find out what it teaches. I mean, learn the doctrines of the faith. I mean, don't always just keep on your speed dial 1-800-CALL-PASTOR for the answer. I mean, learn the answers yourself. Let the Word of God be the firm foundation for you and your family. Now, I'm going to head back down to Angola Prison here in a month, and I'm going to teach something that I've taught virtually every time I've been down there for the last 17 years, and that is how to get a good grip on your Bible. Now, the question is, how can you get a good grip on your Bible? Well, what I have them do is something kind of like a grade school activity. I tell them to put your hand down on a piece of paper, Trace your hand. You ever do that in grade school? Trace your hand. And I said, okay, now I'm going to show you how to get good grip. Good grip. First of all, on your thumb, right? Hear it. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it, right? Then the second thing is to read it. I mean, actually open up your Bible and read it. I don't care whether you want to start in Genesis and go all the way back to Revelation or find some other Bible reading plan. Uh, the third thing is to study it. And I don't know if you know the difference between reading and studying. Here it is. It's called a pen or a pencil. You start taking notes. You start looking at different things. The fourth thing is to memorize the scripture. And that's where some of you say, oh, now you lost me there. I can't memorize anything except for about 400 cell phone numbers and recipes and batting averages and who's in first place and how bad this, the Cardinals are beating up on the Cubs right now or all of those. You, you all know you know what you want to know. And after, med- after memorizing it, meditate on it. I mean, chew it around. You know, even a cow chews its cud and swallows it and coughs it up once or twice before he's done with it. I mean, chew God's word around 
And then finally, apply it. See, many followers of other religions know more about what they believe than we do. And if you're going to enter the Muslim seminary in Egypt, you need to have memorized the entire Quran. Now, I don't fault them for that, but I think it's high time we learn as much about Christianity as Muslims know about their religion. Second thing I would tell you is to be bold about your faith with a smile on your face. And it's at this point where sometimes we fall down because far too many have been baptized in vinegar. That we get angry when we when somebody disagrees with us and the joy of the Lord is kind of replaced by the wrath of God. It's no wonder sometimes that people don't want to talk to us about Jesus. But if people get angry with you, let it be because of the truth that you preach, not because of the words you used. I mean, if they reject us, let it be because uh, not because we 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 uh, treated them rudely. And if sinners reject Jesus, let it be because they truly reject him. And not because we lost our temper. A friend of mine told me a number of years ago that boldness in witnessing is just unembarrassed freedom of speech. Do you all believe in freedom of speech? Only one. Okay. I'm going to talk to you for a while, Paul. (laughs) But unembarrassed freedom of speech. You speak the truth without feeling you need to pressure other people into agreeing with you. And if you can speak the truth and plant a big smile on your face... And have the joy of the Lord all the better. There's another important thing to remember as we witness, and that is to realize that there's a tremendous spiritual hunger in our generation. I mean, that's why Islam is on the rise in America. That's why Eastern religions like Hinduism uh, attract so many people. I mean, these incredible religious diversities testify to the hunger that's inside of every heart. We were made to know God, and if we don't fill that God-shaped vacuum uh, with the truth, we will substitute whatever we can find with it. See, in a sense, today in, the, in 2017, some people say, I mean, the world's kind of going to hell in a handbasket. I really rejoice in this day because we live in one of the greatest days of human history. And it may very well be the final generation before Jesus comes back. And that explains why Satan seems to be working so hard to spread his lies across this country and throughout this world. But what I know from Scripture is this, where sin abounds, guess what? Grace superabounds. I mean, the very fact that we live in such spiritual darkness, and yes, it's even here in Springfield, it's down in Branson where I live, it's over in Nixa, I'm pretty sure we can find it there too, and maybe even in Ozark and other places like that. All this means is, don't be discouraged by the difficulty. Because when we shine our light in today's world, it shines even brighter than even before. See, the people of this generation are dining at the devil's trough when they could be feasting at the Father's table. So we need to go out into the highways and the hedges and the byways with Jesus' name and invite them to a banquet that never ends. But remember, there are a couple of things we must not do. We must not attempt to convert by force or threat or intimidation. We must not stand by and refuse to speak up for what we really believe. I mean, friends, if you truly believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, the most, the most unkind thing you could do would be to keep it to yourself. If Jesus is truly the only way to heaven, the most loving thing you can do is share that with another person. I want you to suppose for a moment that some researchers out of Missouri State University 
this very this very week, discovered the cure for cancer. It's a treatment that could instantly cure all forms of cancer. And let's suppose even further that this treatment is painless. It's one time and it's 100 percent effective. Now, would it be arrogant of those professors at the university to say, well, this is the only treatment for cancer you ever need? Or would that be the most loving thing that they could ever say? Or imagine for a moment that Adam and I were standing about 50 feet away from a cliff. And um, it has no barrier. Um, and uh, if you walk over that, you're going to drop about 1,800 feet and smash yourself on a bunch of jagged rocks. Now, as we're standing there, we notice an old gentleman uh, walking slowly towards the edge. And as he nears the edge, we suddenly realize that this man is blind and he does not recognize the danger. Now, suddenly he calls out, which way should I go? Would it be proper for Adam to say, it doesn't matter. I mean, go any way you like. I mean, would you not be criminally negligent if you let a person like that fall to their death? But instead, I know Adam, he wouldn't do that. Instead, he would walk over and he'd take that man by the arm and he'd say, don't take another step. Come, let me show you the way. And then you take him by the hand and lead him to safety. See, love compels us to share the truth of Jesus Christ, to do what we can to save the life of people whose lives are going in the wrong direction. Friends, God's heart is wide, but the way to true life is narrow. And both are true, and there are many religions and, and, and many good things that we can learn from other religions of the world. But there's only one way to God, and Jesus is the way. I'm going to share with you in closing five words I think you can take with you all the way to heaven. And if you understand these five, what these five words mean, you can spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. And here they are. Only Jesus and Jesus only. Can you say that together with me? Only Jesus and Jesus only. Let's say it again. Only Jesus and Jesus only. Friends, if you want to find your way to the Father's house... You have to travel the course that Jesus laid out for you. Other roads may look attractive. There may seem like there are shortcuts, but the, there's only one road that takes you where you really want to go. Jesus is the only way to heaven. May God help you to put your trust in him. Amen.